the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 1. Taking a look at the book of Revelation, we're starting a sermon series that we're calling The Living Church of the Living King. You see, the book of Revelation begins by giving us a picture of who Jesus is, a a really glorious picture of Jesus as the, the risen and living king. And then the book of Revelation continues to go into seven letters that are written to seven different churches. And the, um, the call to those churches is to be alive in Christ Jesus, to trust him and follow him, and in trusting and knowing him and following him, to be alive. And so the words that are contained in the book of Revelation are words of life, words that call us as well to be alive, to trust in Jesus Christ, and in so doing, to live. And so I'm really eager to be able to look at these words, these powerful words of the beginning part of the book of Revelation. And so it starts today with Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read Revelation 1 verses 1 through 8. So let's give our attention now to the the revelation of John that's recorded for us in chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So the book of Revelation is a challenging book. 
It's a challenging book for us for a number of different reasons, not least of which because the book of Revelation is one of the books of the Bible that has created the largest amount of conflict or division within the church. You see, the book of Revelation is a book of signs and symbols and visions, and and because there are signs and symbols and visions, and because these things are talking about things that will be, things that are to come, there's some disagreement about what it is that this book is talking about, and that's reflected in a lot of places in a lot of different churches. A friend of mine took a call to a church in the Washington, D.C. area, and when he arrived, certain people in the congregation found out that he had a different view of the book of Revelation than they did, and there was a mass exodus from the church because they said, we want to sit under the preaching of someone who agrees on the book of Revelation with us. It created a lot of difficulty for him in his particular ministry, and so you might hear that and think, well, why would we touch such a divisive book? Well, it's scary. (laughs) It's a little scary but it's good. The words of the book of Revelation are so powerful. They're so deep. And they're written to a church at such an important time that it's really essential for us to take a look at it. But it's going to be challenging. So, you know, this church is, um, this church is a Christian Reformed church. And for those of you that, that may not know a ton about the history of the Christian Reformed church, the Christian Reformed church is one that sees as one of its theological forebears or one of its, uh, of its Christian founders, this theologian named John Calvin. Now, he was a really prolific writer, and he wrote commentaries on almost every single book of the Bible. Except two, actually. One was Song of Solomon, and the other was Revelation. You see, Calvin, this great theologian, was like, don't want to touch that one. Going to stay away from that one. Pretty confusing. And it's been tough for people who are Reformed. They have also tended to avoid the book. We're confused by it if Calvin doesn't know what's going on in it. So what is the book of Revelation all about? Well, Let's take a look at what it is that the the text says. We're told that this is a revelation, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Sometimes this book of the Bible will be called the Apocalypse of John. Now, apocalypse is a Greek word that means to reveal or to expose that which was hidden behind a veil or a curtain. When people hear the word apocalypse, they think it refers to, uh, you know, just the end times. But the word in Greek just meant a, a revealing of what's going to take place, a revealing. And that's why it's translated Revelation, the book of Revelation. This reveals what will soon take place. That's what verse 1 says. It's a book of prophecy. That's what uh, verse 3 says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It announces future judgment, and it announces future blessing. And it makes heavy use of symbol and vision. The book is more obscure because of that than most because the imagery is obscure because there are, uh, because there's there's really expressive imagery that's used. And because it is talking about things that are to take place, we're not exactly sure what that might mean. I mean, think about the fact that when we read Old Testament prophecy that finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, this is clear to us. But if you were to read Old Testament prophecy not knowing what it's referring to, it might be very confusing, right? Think about the fact that Old Testament prophets say, behold, the virgin shall conceive. And we know that that referred to something literal and actual. 
But upon hearing that, you might think, now that's not something that takes place. That must be, a, that must be just a, a, a means of speaking. That must be just a, a kind of like a, an image given to us of something impossible or incredible that's taking place. Or think about the fact that, that in Isaiah, when there is the, the talk of the suffering servant, we're told that, that he was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity, that the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. Now, several scholars say, now this just refers to Israel as a whole. This is an imagistic telling of the people of Israel as a whole. But those of us who have seen Christ Jesus, who have put our faith in him, who trust in him, who know that he came and bled and died and was pierced at the cross for our transgression, that he was bruised at the cross for our transgression, know what it is that that refers to. But before that took place, that imagery might be very difficult to understand. And because many things talked about in the book of the Revelation of John have not yet taken place, we're not exactly sure what specifically it might be referring to. This imagery and the lack of familiarity that we have with an apocalyptic style can frighten us. But to quote Dennis Johnson, we shouldn't be intimidated by the strangeness of its vision or the controversies that swarm locust-like around it. Our starting point should be confidence that God has given us this book not to confuse, not to terrify, not to divide his people, but to shed light, to reveal to us the invisible forces and the secrets of his invisible plan that make sense of the visible events and movements experienced by his church and his world. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. So let's take a look at that prologue again, the first three verses, that explain to us what this book is about. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near. So the purpose is this book was given to us to explain that which is a part of the invisible counsel of God. To show, to reveal, to bear witness to that which is true. And those of us who hear and listen to it should receive it and keep it. That's what this book is about. What does this book reveal? Well, again, let me quote Dennis Johnson. This book reveals to us that what appears to the naked eye on the plane of human history to be weak, to be helpless, to be hunted, to be poor, defeated congregations of Jesus' faithful servants, they, they, Will be pro- they will pro- be proven to be the true overcomers who participate in the triumph of the lion who conquered as a slain lamb. What appear to be the forces controlling history. At that time, the military and political and religious and economic complex that is Rome, this is a system with seeds of its own self-destruction written and born into it. This is a, this is a political system that's already feeling the first lashes of the wrath of the lamb. On the plane of human history, things are not what they appear. 
And so the symbols that Revelation uses tell us about things as they really are. Its surprising and paradoxical imagery discloses the true identity of the church, the true identity of the church's enemies, and the true identity of the church's champion. Revelation, you see, was given to a a church, to a series of churches that were under attack. The purpose is to reveal the things which must soon take place, not to satisfy curiosity or a desire for revenge, but to fortify the church in the hope in hope and in the godly thought and in godly living and to remind them of where the real challenges are. You see, churches at the time of the book of Revelation were experiencing some persecution. There's a little bit of disagreement in the historical record about how severe that was or widespread, but we know that at least some of the churches receiving the book of the Revelation of John, the Apocalypse of John, were experiencing substantial persecution at the hand of the Roman Empire. But what was even more serious to each one of these churches than the persecution that they were facing was the disloyalty to Christ that came through theological abandonment of Christ and his ways. It's important that we don't miss this. At this time of persecution, the most serious problem faced was that of biblical or theological error. This is true for us too. I mean, think about the fact that when this book was written, it was written to churches that were filled with people that sometimes were fearing for their life. And one might be tempted to think, well, the physical danger that you are experiencing because of persecution is the most dangerous thing that you're facing. But the book of Revelation makes it clear, no, 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 a far more dangerous thing that you might face is false teaching or false worship or turning away from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true for you too, as you sit here today, as you hear me today. There's a lot that's been written about the secularization of the United States, and with good reason. Since the 1990s, the fastest growing religion in the U.S. has been the religiously unaffiliated. Now, the United States has never been a a Christian nation. Its government has always been a secular one built on the principles of religious pluralism. But Dwayne Litvin notes that for a long period of time, Christianity was nonetheless seen as the home team in America. Even if you didn't consider yourself a Christian, or if you weren't often in church, you nonetheless felt that you should cheer for the church and for Christianity in American culture. There was an article in The Atlantic this past week which noted that come the 1990s, this home team sort of thing transitioned. Starting in the early 1990s, Christianity was no longer seen as the home team, but maybe one team among another that was playing on a neutral field. And then perhaps since the late 2000s or early 2010s, Christianity is increasingly seen as the away team. Not that there's persecution as there is throughout many parts of the world right now. Not that Christians in the United States need fear for their life. But nonetheless, there is starting to be opposition to Christianity in ways that didn't exist for much of the United States' history. And this can be challenging to us or frightening to us or discouraging to us. But the same thing that was true for the churches at the time of this letter is true for us The most dangerous thing for them and the most dangerous thing for us is not non-Christian leaders who may be opposing the message of the gospel. The most dangerous thing for the church has always been people who claim to be Christians and yet warp the message of God. Let me try to be specific. A Christian worship song or hymn that gives to us a warped picture of God is more dangerous than a secular song with all manner of vulgarity in it. 
Now that's not to say that vulgarity is okay. It's to reinforce how serious it is to develop a warped picture of God. Let me continue. A work of Christian fiction that teaches you incorrect things about the Christian life is more dangerous than a secular novel that is, again, filled with all manner of vulgarity. This isn't to excuse that which is wrong about the secular novel, but it is to say that wrong thinking about God is devastating. And to bring it home one final time, a TED Talk can be less dangerous than a sermon. Because if a sermon tells you something that is false, it will be much more likely to slip past your defenses in ways that secular communication will not. And so one of the most dangerous things for the churches in Revelation was false teaching and putting up with false teaching, agreeing with false teaching, which had been coming from people claiming to be Christians. When I was at Calvin Seminary, there was a church historian And he noted, even in times of greatest persecution, the most substantial danger for the church has always come from within rather than from without. What he was saying was this, even when political leaders sought to kill Christians, it was still far more dangerous to allow false teaching than it was to lose your life to the state. Because the nation was putting the life of Christians at risk But the false teaching of some within the church was putting the souls of Christians at risk. This means that at times in the book of Revelation, there are some harsh words that come from God through the pen of the apostle John to the churches because he wants them to be aware of that which is false and give themselves to that which is true. He wants them to turn away from the ways of the world and turn to the ways of God. We should be eager for these difficult words that the book of Revelation give to us. We should be eager to turn away from falsehood and turn to truth. We should be eager to turn to Jesus and live. We see in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ is the living one and he wants a living church. And this is why we're calling the sermon series The Living Church of the Living King. Christ is alive and we as part of his church should be alive and a living church is what came pouring out from the Holy Spirit at the time of Pentecost. And a living church has always been the result of giving oneself to keeping God's word. And a living church was the result of this revelation many years ago. Let me read to you a description about Christians that was written to a Roman official at the time of the book of Revelation. It was written to a Roman official named Diogenetus about Christians at the time of the book of Revelation. Somebody wrote to this Roman official about Christians, they love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are unknown, yet they're condemned. They're put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They're slandered, yet they are vindicated. They're cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. When they do good, they're punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. And so Christians, when punished, daily increase more and more. This is what a living church looks like. And in order to be a living church, one must be utterly transformed by the living one, Christ Jesus, the king of the church. 
So let's take a look at the rest of this section of scripture that comes to us in Revelation, and let's hear about the living one, the king of the church. Verse 4 and 5 tell us this, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. We're going to meet those churches later as he writes an individual message to each one of them, something particular for each one of them. Grace and peace to you, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Notice the way that God is described here in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The one who gives grace and peace is the first way that God is described. This is why we begin our services with this each week. Grace to you and peace from God the Father is the way that our services begin week after week after week. We want to develop a rhythm within this congregation of remembering that the one who gives grace and peace is the God of creation. You and I are people who are in need of grace. We are people who are in need of peace. And there is one source for peace and for grace. And that comes from God the Father, the one who sits upon the throne. The Father is the one, continuing on, who is and who was and who is to come. Who is and who was and who is to come. You see, the Lord God is the one who always has been and always will be. The Lord God is the one who transcends time because he was before time. The Lord God is the one who is existence. God is greater than you because he always was, he is now, and he always will be. You came into existence. Your existence is dependent upon another. You came into existence because of your mother. And without her, you would not be now. Without her bearing you and then bringing you into the world, you would not be. You would not exist now. Were you not cared for by your father and mother when you were a young child at times when you could not care for yourself? And there will come a time in your life where, again, you cannot care for yourself. You have been dependent on others for your existence. You will be dependent on others for your existence. But God is never dependent on another for existence. He never came into being. He contains within himself the reason for his own being. Nothing and no one ever had to cause God to be because God is the cause of existence. He is and he was and he ever will be. This reminds us of how great he is. Every other thing that we have seen in the world had to come into existence and was caused by something else. God causes himself. The one who is and was and will be. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Seven in the scriptures is a number of completion. And so this is the perfection of the Holy Spirit who is before the throne. So grace and peace flows from the one who is and was and and will ever be. And it flows from the Holy Spirit and it flows from the Son and from Jesus Christ. And from Jesus Christ. You see, at the beginning of this book is a Trinitarian greeting. The grace and the peace comes from God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And then see the way that Jesus is introduced in this book. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus bore witness to the Father perfectly through his sinless life. 
He bore witness to the Father through his sacrificial and atoning death on the cross. He bore witness perfectly to the Father through his resurrection from the grave. And his powerful resurrection from the grave is the second way that Jesus is described in this section of scripture. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the firstborn of the dead. There are two important parts of this title that's given to Jesus. It reminds us that Christ Jesus didn't stay dead after he bore your sins upon the cross, but that on the third day he got up, defeating death, and proving that he is the Lord who is and was and is to come. And because he always has been and always will be, death itself cannot triumph over him. He is alive. But he's the firstborn of the dead. And this speaks an important truth to you this morning who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn which means that there are others that are going to be born from the dead. You see, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That means there are other ones who are coming to be born of the dead. It means, it means this, right? Because Christ Jesus rose from the dead, the grave won't hold you either. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.